Hard to believe it's January 29th, 2022, but it is. Um, it is not hard to believe that it's Wednesday because it is. And uh, it's another roundtable Wednesday. Just finished up with the Blitz. Lots of great questions. Uh, really, you know, interesting legal topics getting brought up weekly now at the Blitz. It, for, for so long, it was just this boring, mundane nonsense. But uh, that tells me society is uh, slipping back to the old uh, litigious, contentious, fight each other, <laughs> argue but go home happy. But go home happy. Let's hope. Yeah, that's Let's right. hope. That's the goal, at least. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. we had a guest schedule today. It's not going to work out. Uh, I had other plans that got in the way. So uh, we're just going to run the roundtable. We got Norm here. We got Brett here from Circle 270 Media. I'm here. And, you know, it's not like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. It's not like the U.S. <laughs> Supreme Court didn't drop four enormous decisions on us in the last two weeks. Yeah. Um, first of all, I love everybody. <laughs> Norm loves everybody. He's our lover. Except Honda Odyssey drivers right. in in the uh, in the pratter of uh, uh. the late Don Imus. They all need to die. <laughs> they all need to. All those Honda Odyssey drivers need to die. They need to die now. But I want to the stab abstract. them with a knife. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> and I, I cannot believe your bad luck that you always seem to follow one or one follows you. Oh my God! You're like they, a you're a magnet to Honda Odyssey. They never use their mirrors. They wow. they go at least 15 miles an hour slower <laughs> than the speed limit. They're just an atrocity. My God! They I. I mean, please. So uh, just stay out of the fast lane. Get over there where the other bovines are and stay there. Stay just get out of my way. Okay. Anyway, let me. But I love them. So let me get that on the record. I love everybody. Um, however, there are some people I despise. So right. you uh, you you uh, went a little bit in depth with the blitz caller about the row versus weight a little bit. Could you do that again? So what it really, what did this ruling really say? And I spent the, I'll just, I'll I'll confess. I spent the weekend at a buddy in town and he was asking me, his first question was, so is there, you know, is there any more privacy left in the United States? Oh my God. It was his way of just starting a conversation. turns out he was on, he agreed with almost everything. I, I, he understood the assessment that I gave Mm -hmm. him and I spent a couple hours over dinner sort of going through it with him. I'm not going to do that here. I might do a breakdown on it. Um, but, uh, so I think what we have to start with is the, is what Roe did and what Dobbs didn't do. Okay. And what Dobbs did. So Dobbs is the case that the, that the Supreme court just decided that reversed Roe and Roe is the case that sort of created the whole mess. And I say mess on purpose because Roe versus Wade was one of the, uh, worst horrible legal constitutional decisions ever written. Now, before all those people that, that uh, agreed with Roe go crazy, let me explain a little bit. It was uh, There was a trend back in those days through several cases, and I'm not going to dig into, but uh, the trend was to create something called a right to privacy using what uh, Roe ultimately relied upon as this penumbrum, this sort of uh, introspective, uh, deep perspective on what the Constitution said. And they, they created and found a constitutional right to privacy within the context of all the other rights that the Constitution preserved. And I say preserved because really what they did is they didn't, uh, the founders didn't really create rights. They said that the government can't do these things. And by enumerating them, they created rights. But Roe versus Wade basically said, look, we're going to, even though it doesn't, it's not written in the Constitution, even though it was never, abortion was never, probably never even addressed at the constitutional conventions and uh, at the founding of the country, we're going to find a right to privacy. And within that right to privacy, we're going to say that abortion exists. A woman has a right to an abortion within the right to privacy that's not written either. And they went even further, which, which is even more troubling, which is they actually created what would be a, an attempt, a failed one, at a workable scheme on how abortion should work. They invented the trimester, trimester scheme. So by invented, I mean this. It's like, when's the, what's the last constitutional decision anybody has read? And I get it. Most people probably haven't read any. But what usually doesn't happen is the court outlining how uh, the law should work, operating on the on sort of the, the ground level nuance of it. It's not the court's job, not at the Supreme Court level and not at any other level. The, the job to do that, to dictate w- how things work, how a speeding case wor- or how uh, the speed limit works or how... Uh, some local practice works is usually the job of the legislature. So the general assembly calls witnesses, they have testimony, they figure it out and they come up with a law that says, here's how it's going to work. So 
they in, like in the abortion context, they would say, we're going to permit abortions in the first trimester, not in the second, or however you're going to do it. The Supreme Court sort of invented that. And by invented, I mean it wasn't presented. It's not like the Supreme Court can hear testimony. It's not their job. They review cases mm-hmm. that are decided already and determine whether the case violated the Constitution in some way, shape, or form. Their job is not to call witnesses, take testimony, and establish facts. Review courts like the U.S. Supreme Court, they do not establish facts. Not their job. They're not equipped to do it. They don't take testimony. There's not a witness stand in the U.S. Supreme Court courtroom. <laughs> they don't just say, sir, take the stand and tell us how trimesters work. Yeah, it's an appeals court. It's an appeals court. Mm. A court of review. But nonetheless, they created a system, a trimester system, out of... I don't want to call it whole cloth because I understand that one of the clerks or somebody knew somebody who suggested that because they knew a doctor in New York or something that uh, came up with a trimester thing. But it wasn't like it was in the record. And actually, I think the Supreme Court sent it back at one point for more information on something or another. At any rate, it was um, it was a groundbreaking decision, but not in a good way when it happened because courts typically don't do that. They, they typically don't come up with facts. They typically don't come up with constitutional rights that heretofore have not existed and just add them. Uh, now, I, I think what that did is it took a political issue and made it a constitutional issue. And it put a burden on the court that it wasn't equipped to handle. Yeah, so, um, might just interject, Steve. I, I may have said this in a previous um, show, but um, I had a con law professor when I went to law school, constitutional law, con law, we called it, um, who was uh, quite liberal in his outlook personally, he laughed at the Roe v. Wade decision in class, laughed at it and said it was one of the worst decisions Mm. ever written because it's not based on anything in the constitutional. I believe this penumbrum or umbrella or cloud of privacy or this zone of privacy that they discovered they claimed to, that it came out of the Ninth Amendment, I believe. I think it was. Well, they took a they took a group of them all. And I mean, it was, it, it, they, it, they ran it through something called substantive due process through the Fourteenth Amendment. That's it. You know, we don't need mm-hmm. to get too deep into the he, weeds on that. But, but he just he he laughed at it because it was made up of whole cloth, and it was clear to him as an expert in constitutional law. This particular professor had written books, and you know, uh, written he wrote the textbook that we were using. For the class, so he clearly was, uh, uh, you know, deeply immersed in the Constitution, yeah. and uh, yeah, uh, the, the so that was the Roe decision was 1973. It's now, uh, you know, 2022, f- 50 years later, and um, uh, the Dobbs decision is the decision that Steve's talking about, the the current decision that overthrew Roe, and. Um, we just just to set the stage a little bit because Steve is so focused on on the result that it's good to remind people listening that the subject matter for federal involvement in lawmaking is very specific in the Constitution and all other aspects of governance are reserved to the states. And it's very important that people remember that. So in my view, Steve, and you'll certainly uh, go on and, 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 and further explain, but from my point of view, the biggest thing that this case did, it didn't make abortion illegal in any way, shape, or form. What this decision about Roe did is not really even about abortion. What it's about is the subject matter of this argument about whether there ought to be abortion and under what circumstances the Supreme Court decided it was not a federal matter. It is a matter to reserve for the states under our Constitution. Yeah. And so they are sending the entire controversy back to the 50 individual laboratories for the legislatures in each state to work out their policies for that state. And Virginia can do it differently than Kentucky can do it differently than Montana. Yeah, and you're you're right about that. And and what what Roe did, in my opinion, and this is my or call it my hypothesis. Looking back, it basically took the issue of abortion, which may be the most controversial, fought after 
issue of our time or maybe for how many years, I don't know. And it made it a, a constitutional issue, but it was a political issue. So now if I'm say a member of a Republican party under Roe and I agree with everything else the Democrats say, but I'm against abortion. I got to stay in the Republican party because it became my singular focus for the abortion advocates or the anti-abortion advocates to overturn Roe. And that has to be done by electing presidents and uh, who will then appoint judges and go through this long process. So when the court inserted itself into a political hotbed, it made itself a political body. It wasn't supposed to be a political body. It was supposed to be a judicial body. It's supposed to be an independent judi- judiciary. The court should not have an interest in, in things that the constitution doesn't say. Now th- I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, and I'm sure there's people that would debate me, but I think what happened is then everything after Roe became about Roe, about getting a case up, getting a a president elected who would appoint judges who would overturn Roe or uphold Roe. Now that we don't have that, so now what Dobbs did is say, look, we made a mistake here. Roe should never have been a constitutional right. It was a political matter, and political matters are handled, as Norm says, in the 50 different laboratories that we have in the United States of America. It is a people's choice. So, and, and beyond that, to the extent that Roe was outlining a process like trimesters, there was no good scientific way to deal with that. So it, Roe created, like when you create a constitutional right, like you have a right to the First Amendment, we can interpret what that means, but we can't change it. <laughs> you can't say, you know, you can't legislate it from the bench. It is written. The, the Constitution is designed to create a framework, not detail. And Roe created detail, not a framework, um, or maybe detail and tried to create a framework. Uh, so, it, you know, if Roe would have at least just said, we recognize there's a right to abortion under the Constitution, you states figure it out. Well, that would have been better. Instead, what they did is they legislated in some detail about trimesters, et cetera, which caused constant problems and invited constant uh, attacks. So now what we have is a situation where everybody feels like they can have a voice. Now, you may not like it if you're on one side or the other. You may not, you, you loved it if you were pro-abortion and the other side, the other people on the debate had no say-so. That's awesome. But, you know, that kind of winner-winner chicken dinner attitude always gets turned on you sooner or later. There's another thing mm. that, that uh, goes the other way. And But now you've got both sides of the debate with an opportunity to do what people have a right to do, vote, voice their opinion, voice their concerns, go to your local meetings, go to your local legislative bodies and, and, and create informed decisions. If you're going to live in a place where abortion uh, is going to be lawful, well, then give your input onto how it should work and bring in the doctors, bring in the experts, bring in whoever to state your case so the legislative bodies have the ability to do something uh, meaningful and reasonable and at least informed on how to do abortions. It's not an all or nothing anymore. So the people's – like it, it is when, – when people are accusing the Supreme Court under Dobbs of grabbing power and being this authoritative body, it's like there could be – it could not be more opposite. They abdicated power. Like you had our, our, our U.S. Supreme Court said, we don't have the power to determine this. You, the people that live in the states, have the power to determine this, not us. Right. And I think what they did is they created or they, they took an enormous step back to what I will call the coveted independent judiciary. The, the normal running of SCOTUS. Yeah. Basically. Well, and, and for me, uh, you know, the other decisions that also came out in that uh, flurry over the last uh, seven to 10 days. Um, really speaks to this court. This is packed into uh, Dobbs. Um, going back to normal judicial analysis as to original intent of the Constitution. Yeah. The Constitution mm-hmm. never had in mind, uh, and the enumerated powers reserved to the federal government never encompassed uh, the, these kinds of issues, you know, about, and this is where Clarence Thomas's separate, uh, uh opinion, uh, brings this out. I don't want to necessarily take step backwards socially. That's going to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody, but the idea of things like, uh, same sex marriage, what is a marriage, a definition of marriage ought to be a state issue. There's nothing in the Constitution about marriage or or what constitutes a marriage. And there has been a trend over the last 50 years since Roe of finding 
um, statuses and rights and and uh, privacy and all kinds of things that are not in the Constitution that are that are part of what the purview is of a state. So, you know, I don't think we're a country made up of mean, nasty people in general. And I think the states will come up with, as you said, Steve, they this will level out. The states will come up with exceptions. The states will come up with systems, um, you know, that fit that state and that will address things like uh, the life of the mother being in jeopardy, you know, because a baby is uh, an in, uh, 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 an infant inside her is sideways or uh, has some kind of uh, threat to the mother's life, and it's a choice between her life and the baby's life, and after consultation with the doctor, they decide, you know, to abort the baby in order to save the mother. I think states are going to come up with those exceptions, incest and other things. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, that a lot of the arguments I'm seeing just in, you know, again, that drive-by Facebook post is is the general, yes, I can get behind you in regards to just generally, I had sex, I want to get rid of the baby. Okay, not talking about the the incest situations, the rape situations, or the the mother's health situations. That's a tough conversation. Yeah, that, those those are. It's it, not black and white. It is not, and those are conversations. It, those are conversations that couldn't really happen under Roe versus Wade because it, it, they just took it. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And and I think in order to come up with a solution to those, you need the community, the states, the people to have a say so. Yeah. And the ability to call experts in, the ability to uh, right. advocate their position right. in a forum where it can be challenged, in a forum where it can right. be supported, in a forum where you've got to defend it. Well, and, and and to that point, too, this may, to your point of it'll all even out, it could very well be bringing into play that, okay, the dad is now a piece of this. Yeah. DNA test, you are liable, you will monetarily support. I would... It is amazing. What I think happens I when think people, that would be real interesting where this can go. You're right. It is amazing to me what happens when people are left to their own devices. How capable we are as humans to solve problems, and and when something like uh, a government takes over and says, "I'm going to tell you how to solve it," how incapable the government is of right. doing is equally mm-hmm. astounding. And you know, it, it's not lost. I think it's lost on lots of folks that. Um, you know, we had the most liberal abortion standards in the world. You know, most most European countries didn't have anything close to what we have or had. And, uh, you know, how that shakes out in the individual states, I don't know. But I, I, even I, I've told people who are absolute 100% throw up your middle finger and burn the court down people. I'm like, look, you might be surprised what happens here. You might be surprised that even the states that today say they're not going to have any abortions whatsoever, it won't be long before they do. Because now the political system will start to work. Um, That's right. You're going to get somebody who wants to get elected, and he needs votes to get elected. So right. he's going to he's going to take a position on abortion that's a little bit more liberal. And then you, on the other side, if you're on, I hate abortions. I hate abortions. I hate abortions. You might be surprised of the middle of the road votes that you might be able to get from people. You know, because now abortion is not the only thing on the ticket. Now all the other policy things, all the other. Uh, the real stuff that matters for uh, the legislative branch of government to take care of, you know, all that's on the table and it's not governed by one singular issue. Yeah, and I think the conversation with pro-lifers and pro-choicers, it's a different conversation now. Well, you yeah. guys- It just is. You yeah. guys are probably aware that I, yeah, part of my career, past career was as a lobbyist. Yeah. And so um, when you have subject matter that's clearly within the purview of states- and yet there's a national um, uh, uh, impetus uh, to shape. Uh, you, you can't do it federally, but but there is, say, a national uh, organization on one side, maybe another two or three on the other side, and and uh, they're, they're hashing out a policy in all 50 states. I'll give a good example would be like licensure. So one of the clients I had was uh, drug addiction and alcoholism counselors in Ohio needed to create standards in order to get a license. So naturally, when we created a state board to issue those licenses, that had to be done in the other 49 states. And there is promulgated by various interest groups 
their version of model legislation. That's what we're going to see in this case with abortion. We're going to see uh, the, the National Organization of Women. We're going to see, in, on one side, we're going to see the Baptist uh, uh, Convention, uh, the Protestant movement. On another side, we'll see the Catholic Church involved. We'll see various interested parties come up with what they think are best practices or model legislation, and they'll write this up. Maybe you know the various institutes like the Heartland Institute or the Buckeye Institute. You'll find the Cato Institute. You'll find various people rolling out model legislation, trying to convince you know um, Oregon and Florida and South Carolina. Look at our model legislation and write that into your state laws. And that's how, so we will have these conversations. It will get hashed out. And there will be. But does money win on this one though? uh, Well, there is definitely an industry uh, here. I mean, there is definitely an industry that's uh, funded in part federally and and through grants, uh, various, you know, nonprofits and, um, you know, so yeah, and there's, you know, Various, uh, you know, there used to be this uh, doctrine that um, that the f- no federal dollars would go into abortion, and that has been dispensed with in recent years, and uh, it was called the Hyde Amendment. It still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but but it's been softened. It's, so so now tolerating more. The U- the mm-hmm. U.S. does fund abortion programs in other countries, for example, with the UN and and, and so forth. But and now there's talk of funding federal or giving uh, federal employees, Biden said this the other day, he's going to give federal employees, uh, let them use sick leave to go get abortions and help fund their travel out of state or stuff like that. Various, Maybe not help fund, but at least give them sick leave. Various corporations uh, are saying that they'll have a benefit of up to like $4,000. Well, I don't care about that. Those are private companies. But yeah. when the federal government starts to do it, I care, you yeah. know, because I, I do have a problem with that. But sure, no, you're, you're, you're right in that the, the debate will unfold naturally. And I think people will be surprised at, how even keel it ends up being. And I, I also sort of feel like even just after a week, the dust, not even a week. Right. So the dust is starting to settle. It's like it's, it, people are starting to like, okay, like right. you'll, you'll still get your, you can, you know, well, the fight is now back more grassroots. It's back to, mm-hmm. it's closer to the people. They're not being dictated to now They're It now uh, I, I get it. Abortion rights people or pro abortion people are severely pissed off that they now have to fight this in 50 forums as opposed to, you know, they, they had it national, but they got their way 50 years ago. Right. And, and, and they, they didn't care then. No, they, didn't they didn't care, care. that. I mean, right, right. again, I don't want to sound mean well, no. in saying that, but it's like the person but, who wins never cares about the other side. I'm going to say never, but it's like they, they won. They, they won. They thought, Damn it, they're right. But you We're know, right. So ever, it doesn't matter what. But other ever think. ever since Roe, there has been there has been this mental trick on on the liberal side that oh we we nationalized we nationalized a state argument federally in Roe. Well, let's do that on a number of other issues. Mm, sure. And 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 the the Supreme Court kind of went down that rat hole right. of legislating for the last 50 years and it now they're backing out and saying, no, no, original intent. We're looking at the constitution and we just don't see a basis for federal involvement yeah. in these issues. And, and the discussion of adding more justices is back on the table again. Of course, right? And you would, uh, I think that'll die out in me- a hurry. I hope. That'll die out. Well, they're trying hurry. to align it with the circuits. Yeah. Is, well, is, now we have 13 or you well, know, we should have 13 it judges. Be, it used to be based on that. It's like, well, that was horse and buggy time. Yeah, that was when you needed extra judges because they couldn't do the job. Right. Um, but yeah. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think that. I don't think it's I got hope. the legs. From what you'd explained, I hope not. Because what happens is then- When does it stop? It solidifies the Supreme Court <laughs> as a second legislative branch of government. It starts that uh, right. And that it eliminates the, the Supreme Court as an independent judiciary yeah. because if, if you can politicize it that way. So look, I, I think if I'm on either side of this equation and I try to look at things both ways, I always have. It's better to me that we don't have an extra legislative branch of government dictating things and being this fungible on what's a constitutional right and what's not. It's written down, folks. And guess what? This is what I told my buddy over the weekend. You know, the, the document, the Constitution is such an amazing document. It even came with an instruction book. It That's tells right. you how to change it. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. A three-fifths right. majority. Right. You, you go get your votes, change it. Well, we need, we need somebody 
as you just said, to review what we're doing. Yeah. Everybody just can't legislate, legislate, legislate. It we got to have somebody to review that's, this stuff. That's a great stuff. point. Because if there isn't Come an independent on. reviewing board and the reviewing board becomes active in the legislative branch that needs review, like it has no end. And, you know, it's a slippery slope and the slope is already slippery enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's happening. We're seeing it. So yeah. there were some wow. other amazing decisions. There was a gun rights decision, a second amendment, second amendment position uh, decision. There was a decision on uh, uh, voting by non-citizens. Um, well, that was local New York, though. That wasn't the U.S. Supreme Court. Right, yeah. right. But I just mean within the last yeah. week, there were some amazing yeah. decisions. Well, let me stop you there because I'm going to get to them. But there, were, gonna, there was a, a First Amendment prayer. Two, two First Amendment decisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the uh, the gun case, and this this is a whole other deep dive. I'm not going to do it. But I am going to say this. I get the question, well, how can, why is it states' rights for, for uh abortion, but not for guns. And you have to understand what Roe did and what Dobbs did. Hmm. Roe established a constitutional right that didn't there, there too for, or here to, that didn't exist before. Well, it's not there. It's not there. Right. So, I mean, but they, they, they established know. a constitutional right. Right. And once that was established, it took away the state's abilities to do anything about it. So Steve, just let me get this in yep. 10 seconds. The constitution wasn't written for lawyers. The constitution was written for farmers. The constitution is very plain language. It's very easy to read the constitution. And so unless you want to add stuff, right? So, (laughs) so I, you don't really need to read in between the lines. Yes. You can go back to the federalist papers and see what they were thinking and all that kind of crap. But basically the constitution is very simple to read. It says what it says and it's obvious what it says. So I always go from that premise and I sound like Scalia and Thomas now, but that is, that's where I come from. So when you say that they established a a constitutional right, I know what you mean, but I think it's always good to go back and say they read into the constitution, something that wasn't. Yeah. When I say established, I mean, they created a constitutional right that was never written down and to put in context, constitutional rights are written down. Right. So it's like for farmers. Yeah. They're written down. They're enumerated. It's not hard to do, right. you know, so it's for farmers. It, and all Dobbs did was say, we were wrong. There isn't a constitutional right. So now on the other hand, when you get to the gun case, New York gun club case, right. it's a situation where there is a second amendment. And it's the, the issue in that case was not whether the second amendment exists because it does. This, it was how the Second Amendment operates and how it gets interpreted and what the states can do to pass laws that that uh, would burden your exercise of the Second Amendment. So those are two different issues, really. Now, they're, they're not incongruent in any way, shape, or form. I mean, they're, they're very consistent with each other in that um, one's a written-down constitutional right, the other they determined was never a constitutional right, and it isn't anymore, so done. Now they can treat things within the same framework that we always have. So they're like, well, they want guns, but they don't want abortion. It's oh, like, for I, God's yeah. sake. I mean, call it widgets and wadgets. It doesn't matter to me. You know, it, it, I always try to look at things yeah. outside the scope of what the subject matter is. That's, that's the hotbed topic. Hmm. Yeah. And it's driven by emotion versus logic. By logic. The, co- yeah, the conversations. Yeah. Everyone's allowed to. Get it out. But then come back and look at the logic behind it. Well, understand. And f- understand why. How awesome our country is. <laughs> that we can have this vast amount of territory all under one flag and, and how and why we can do that. Because if you're on the, uh, I want an abortion for everybody's side, you have to understand that not everybody agrees. And if you try to force your viewpoint on everybody, it will cause conflict that has no resolution. If you say, look, I want this where I am in my independent state, you, there, there can be a say-so, and people feel like that's a fair form of government. And we don't live in a world like Europe. Europe, and the, you know, with the EC, they tried to open it up, but you know, you don't need a passport to go to Pennsylvania. Right. You know, we can go. We get free travel here in this country. And all right, is it a burden for somebody from Mississippi to go to some neighboring state? Yes, yes. But uh, it doesn't mean that it's impossible. And yeah. I've already seen that. There's that will solve itself. That will solve itself. I'm mm-hmm. almost. I have no doubt about it. So understand how awesome it is that you can live in the same country under the same flag with people who inherently disagree with you. 
Right. And you can live the next day, we, the next day, the yes. next day. <laughs> we don't have a homogenous society like yeah. the Scandinavian countries where everybody's the same. We don't want that. We want diversity. And diversity means diversity of ideas, not skin color, diversity of thought, diversity. And then when you combine all that into our melting pot, you get the best of all of it. And hopefully you can discard the worst, at least with debate, you can identify it. So, you know, we, we live in this awesome place where now everybody has a voice and we can scream at each other in the town hall. Let's do it, man. It gives me yeah. chills thinking about it. Yeah, I I like. I mean, the thing, the thing that I constantly get into with my liberal friends is they they want this uniformity. It, they're very they're very strange people. Liberals they they tell you that they're in favor of diversity, except that they're not. They're not. They're not in favor of a variegated uh, country where. You have uh, some some states that it, it's like they view states as just different based on their weather. No, states have different ideas about education. They have different ideas about what welfare benefits should be. They have different ideas about taxing property versus income. Some states don't even tax income. There's states are, as Thomas Jefferson said laboratories, 50 different at that time, 13, but now we're up to 50. And, and the idea of diversity ought to be embraced by all of us. If, if I want to live in an extremely progressive, liberal, you know, anything goes a moral relativistic kind of attitude, I know what States to go live. In. Right. Well, and, and you look at it, it's like the state of Hawaii is run Totally different than the state of Alaska. And that's fine. As, as, it, that, should as, as it should be. As it should be. That's because fine. it's based on where they live, their climate, right. their, 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 their how heritage. they live, their heritage. Yeah. It's yeah. two totally different states. Right. And guess what? They do so just I, fine. So I, as a conservative, yeah. embrace that. I, I as a conservative, yeah. I understand. Yeah. New York wants to be different in, in California. Wants, I understand that. And I in no way go out to, to, to New York and say, well, here I am from Ohio to tell you people how to live. But yeah. there is something about the liberal mindset that wants this uniformity. It's not enough just that they can be free to do what they want. They want you to be free to do what they want. <laughs> they want you to be compelled <laughs> to do what they want. And and then if that goes far if that goes too far like Roe did, what you get then is an argument to a, and and liberals say this all the time. Well, why do we even have states? I mean, if you get to the point where we've federalized every micro issue of human life and, and we have standardized everything, and so every policy at the state and local and township level and city level is, you know, we're going to, the, the feds are going to fund all the police. They're going to fund all the fire departments. They're going to fund this. They're going to fund that. And when you take the federal dollars, you take their long list of policies. Well, pretty soon... We're all identical. All the states are compelled to be identical. And that's, well, then, yeah. It, you, the country you, fails. Yeah, then the, then there's no federalism, the old constitutional concept, where the federal government had very constricted subject matter to that was within their purview under the Constitution. And they actually say in the Constitution, all other powers are reserved to the states. And we have really lost that in this country. Now, there is a, um, you know, if we're going to keep diving deep into this, it, it was um, this notion of federalism creates a system where we can have diverse thoughts and ideas exist, coexist in one country. Yes. Because we're not in New York telling Mississippi how to live and Mississippi telling New York how to live. And, you know, when the when we created the country, uh, there was a time that going to a different state actually mattered. It meant something. Like, oh, yeah. It actually felt different. You're in a different jurisdiction. Right. Maybe they couldn't even arrest you. It's like, I'm going to go cross state lines, and you're not going to be able to get me, like the old Westerns. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. You know, that, that had some teeth to it. Yeah. Um, until we got to this place in our country. And there, Steve, that, and there were some really ugly things in some states. That's right. There was slavery. slavery that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Until we got to this place in our country where federalism butted up against the most evil thing that yes. ever existed on the planet. And, and there was slavery. Were, and other things. So like Connecticut, I always bring this up just because it blows people away. Connecticut had laws forbidding Catholics from owning land. You could not own land in Connecticut if you were Catholic. Mm -hmm. 
And that when they were a state, it, that, now that was a colonial policy. They kept it on when they became a state. So I just mm-hmm. bounce back to you. Well, sure. Yeah. So, you know, when we, when we dealt with slavery, it was inconsistent with the concept of federalism. So the Southern states would say, look, I, I made a deal here. I had to deal with you guys. We'll join, you know, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama. We'll join you guys, but we got our own uh, sovereign uh, government here, and we can do what we want. You don't get to tell us uh, what we can and can't do. And it was an enormous uh, – we crossed a huge threshold as a, as a country when we said, look, these things that were so important to us, this federalism that was so important to us, we're going to make an exception. And we're going to make an exception such that we're going to go to war over it. We are going to fight a war and we're going to lose, you know, you can say 600,000. My buddy always says, no, we lost 300,000 to get rid of slavery. The other side lost 300. All right, fine. <laughs> um, uh, but as a country, we lost 600,000 plus men, maybe more. And uh, uh, it, it was a bloody mess, but we did it. You know, so you, there's an argument that people make all the time. Well, look what federalism resulted. It preserved slavery, blah, blah, blah. And I would say, no. No, 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 no. Federalism is, it isn't just slavery. It's everything. And slavery was a blot on it, but it's mostly good because it lets us live with different ideas. It lets us live with different, live with different thoughts. It lets us live in one state where you're pro-abortion and another where you're not. Steve, even more important, the United States never would have been formed. That's right. Were it not for federalism because the the they wouldn't have joined the, mm-hmm. the there's an economic uh historical theory of why slavery exists and uh you know it it's been uh there've been whole textbooks written about the economic basis for slavery it, it, it not so much um it, it, modern people think slavery was due to racism and uh, there, that certainly was an aspect. There, there's been racism against Irish and Italians and all kinds of other ethnicities. So, yes, against African Americans, certainly racism. But the basis for slavery was economic. And people forget that for the way that uh, the British and the and and uh, had set up the colonies to uh, exploit the colonies and to, and to get things from the colonies to support the crown back in England, that they had set up this economic system and cotton flourished in the South. And the way at that time you picked cotton was through slavery, planted it, picked it, you know, uh, uh, harvested it, everything by hand. So the, those states, Georgia, Florida, those those states never would have joined the Union, uh, the Carolinas, never would have joined the Union had it not been for federalism, and we wouldn't have had 13 colonies. We might have, sure. had, we might have had a very tiny group of states that rebelled against England, and the revolution would have failed. It's interesting because I hear this all the time. Our country was founded on slavery, and my retort is always the same. Our, found, our country was founded despite slavery, despite slavery, without we a doubt, almost weren't founded because of slavery, without a doubt, because these states in the South weren't going to agree to a federal power that would have precluded them from having their slaves. Right. And even Jefferson, a slave owner recognized this in later in his letters. We've read those letters. You and I yeah, both have where right. he's writing to Adams, they're writing back and forth. And they just say, we regret only that we have kicked this evil down the road to the future of our country to deal with. They couldn't, they couldn't solve the slavery problem, even though they wanted, and even though they had them, and even though they knew yeah, it was know, wrong, they knew it was wrong. They knew they and were participating. They yeah. knew they were wrong. They yeah. when they wrote it, they knew that they were hypocrites. And had they have not created a federalistic society or conglomerate of states, then we wouldn't have had a country. And if we didn't have a country, there wouldn't have been the ability later in 1861 to start the war that finished it for good for once and once and for all in this country. And you know. It's it's a it's a blot on our history. It's it's some of the worst stuff that we've ever done, and then it's also solved with some of the best stuff we've ever done. Well, I mean, it, it really was, had, gave us the ability to build back too. And right, so we got to like, we got to break it, it down was, and tear it back and bring another, it back up. It was another triumph over evil by mankind. Yeah, we 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 you know came out of the caves and the swamps and and we were crueler 
we were more exploitive of each other, and we created our better angels created a better society, and that is progress. It's pretty. It's it's awesome that that we did it. You know, it's like they say. You you could say that our country's just rotten to the root because we had slavery, or you could say that our country solved this enormous problem that existed and still survived. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's like wow, uh, it's pretty amazing. And I, I will add back to the Roe versus Wade debate is that as a result of slavery, we actually followed the instruction book that's outlined in the Constitution. We added some language to it. We added some amendments: thirteen, fourteen, right. fifteen. Right? Is right. that the uh, we got rid of the badges and incidents of slavery. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we amended the Constitution. We fixed it. Yes. And if it ever turns out to be that abortion is such an issue that the Constitution needs to be amended, well, I encourage everybody to go try to do what they do, right? The, the, sure. I have no, I am never going to fault anybody for trying to amend the Constitution. I may oppose you, but try as you might. Yeah. You know? That is the way. To change a constitution. That, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even to your point of saying fixing the constitution actually made it stronger. Sure, shorter. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't really broken. It just had some holes. <laughs> we, yeah. we had inherent problems that, that we needed to solve in order to have it. We had compromises that needed to be had in order to found the country. To getting out, yeah. And uh, once we did that and uh, we got through those problems, we, we, we added to it. We, we amended mm-hmm. the Constitution and made it so these things aren't going to be a problem anymore. All right. And you know, the, you're never going to legislate people's feelings and ideals and cram that down. It will never work. I, I just, that's what I, I, I mean, it, and I hate to pick on the left. I don't actually, but it, it seems like the left and the right used to do this too, more so. But they always want to say, all right, we're going to make it a federal mandate, either exactly. constitutional or legislative, that right. you have to do this or you right. have to think this way. The outrage of the week. And it doesn't work. No. It doesn't work. You're never well, going to reach saw that, that way. Well, we just saw that with the Uvalde shooting. You know, uh, the, 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 the immediate knee-jerk reaction is scary, you know, scary-looking guns, not guns that function identically, but ones that have scary appurtenances mm-hmm. to them, you know, so-called assault weapons. You know, we need to do something about that. It's like, well, actually, Grandpa's deer gun with the bolt action is a far more deadly firearm. Well, it depends on what you're using. So you have semi-automatic. Well, you have a semi-automatic. I'd rather get hit really? by a, 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 an AK round than a thirty odd six round. Let me tell you, any well, sure. Day, a two yeah. two three versus thirty odd six. So, <laughs> look, but it's all about the it's the tool of the day. So that's right. How you, what are you going to use for those things? But. I, I, I mean, let's let's get rid of uh, let's get rid of fifty three foot truck trailers because we just had uh, fifty some odd yeah, uh, people awful. die in one down in uh, San Antonio, right? I mean, it's not the object, right? It's the hideous people that took yeah, those uh, tool. illegal uh, aliens and put them in the back of a of a hot trailer right. in Texas. Well, do I, something about those people. Do something about kids that clearly are deranged killing cats and beating up their grandma and, you know, whatever they, whatever they're doing before the next Sandy hook, you know, people need to get, they need to intervene. And then the police for God's sakes need to react like real policemen. Yeah. I mean, those are, all these things are, the the more exposure they get, the more they come to a head. I think the more that the problems will get solved because the people are just not going to tolerate anymore. And, and, you know, I wanted to take a couple seconds, Norm, to talk about, the religion cases, because, you know, they're, they're, among the First Amendment rights, it seems like the freedom of religion components become the most confusing. Because on the one hand, the First Amendment would say, we're not allowed to establish a religion. It's a disestablishmentarianism yeah. clause. And then, then the other says, we're not allowed to impede the free exercise of religion. Right. And those have been read sort of to operate contrary, like in conflict well, it's with each been, other. Well, it's been read to be, rather than the government preserving the people's right under this first amendment it's it's been it's become the government uh shall not in any way cooperate or coexist with the church which yeah. is ridiculous doesn't say anything of the kind it's been it's been sort of uh pushed on one side here to mean that if the government protects your free exercises necessarily establishing a religion and just by the virtue of protecting it so when when kennedy the football coach was kneeling in prayer alone and on the 50 yard line right 
uh, he needed to be stopped because if we let him exercise his religion for free in a public place like that with a, on a public salary, then uh, where the government is necessarily establishing religion. And I don't think the I don't think the founders meant anything to do it at any intent no, at all at all. And I think the establishment clause is we can't nationalize a religion. We can't just declare Christianity to be the national religion. Well, and the proof of that is, I do believe every state legislature has a chaplain, including our national government has a chaplain. They have somebody, and they they rotate it: uh, Jewish, Muslim, Christian. They rotate it at Congress, uh, and there is a prayer before every session of Congress. But somehow that can't be done in a public school. I find it very odd, actually. <laughs> it's um, it's interesting. But the court, there used to be some there. There was a case called Lemon. So they've had all this like crazy entanglement clause or entanglement cases. Like, are we is the government getting too entangled in religion? Yeah. But these two cases that just came out. Um, basically pointed us or the court is pointing in a direction that's going to sort of separate everything again and, and let people exercise their religion for, for freely. And, and, you know, if right. he would have pulled out a carpet and faced Mecca and prayed in theory, and I hope in fact, he's got the same free exercise to do that. Well, he ought to Should. as he does to kneel down and pray to a Christian God right. that he would be to, yeah. um, right. Uh, to, to pray for anything. And, and, you know, that's the idea of it. Uh, so people are all up in arms about this. The other one is involves school funding. So if the government's going to give you vouchers now, uh, they can't preclude you from using those vouchers at a parochial school just yeah. because it's, it's, a, it's got a religious affiliation. What threw me on that decision was the rural aspect of it. That, that troubles me a little bit because they, 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 that decision is so far confined to where circumstances are somewhat so difficult like in a rural situation because it was a rural case that then you didn't have to uh, spend your tax dollars could be redirected to a private school well, to a, that right. that, ha- that has a a religious aspect to it and and it's a little troubling that that doesn't also apply to suburbs and inner cities. Well, let's talk which about it should. let's talk about how that would happen. So there's a little legislation there. This is um, <laughs> well, no, it was, it was confined to the facts of the case. Right, exactly. So when the, when the but next they case blown, comes along, well, but you know what I'm saying, Steve. They could have just said, "Listen, you have an absolute right." They could have, but they uh, I think the, what they call that in my line of work is judicial restraint, which sometimes I agree with. Sometimes it's just a pure euphemism for not wanting to go as far as you could see it's chaotic because now somebody has to legislate that right or the next litigant comes along with the right case but they've opened the door for cases addressing these issues yeah uh which they had shut down in previous supreme courts they had shut down they had shut down They, they wouldn't take anything you could not take any local school funding dollars and spend those dollars at a religiously affiliated school. And in fact, what they used to do, what they still do with Catholic schools. So there's certain things, school boards in the United States, each of the 50, there's certain things that they compel. For example, uh, a child with say down syndrome or a child who has reading difficulties has certain civil rights that we have created in our society that every school shall address charter schools, private schools, public schools. They all have to address those things. And the way that they've done it, if you go to a Catholic school, and I invite people listening, if you if your kid doesn't go to a Catholic school and you're driving by one, take a real good look behind the building or next to the building, and you'll see air-conditioned trailers where literally the money going to the statutorily required kinds of extra teaching for developmentally disabled children will take place in the for the catholic students they leave the catholic school walk across the playground go into an air conditioned steel shipping container with an you know with lights and all the good stuff and and furniture and they carpeted and and they go into this separate building because it can't be it can't be contiguous it can't be part of the main campus 
I mean, it's just it's it's insane. What mm. we what we we just keep laying more ridiculous costs on our society through this separatism that we've done, and it's it's all through a misinterpretation of the Constitution. Yeah. Well, mm. if there's any conciliatory news here, it looks like the Supreme Court is now reevaluating a lot of that stuff, and we've got the the judges on the bench who will do it, and it's pissing off a lot of people. I appreciate that, but uh, yeah. I think at the end of the day taking these debates away from the people who feel strongly about them and forcing it down on the other side is not going to ever solve the problem. The only way these things get reconciled, uh, even unreconciled and still live in harmony is if everybody feels like they have a voice. All right. yeah. Is it normal for a, a, a judge, Supreme Scotus judge to basically lay it like Thomas did? And by the way, we'll take a look at this, this, and this too. Is that kind of yeah. normal? Okay. Yeah, I mean, normal. Uh, normal. It's in, common in his ruling. It's you know, common, in his yeah. in so his you, words. You, you know, know. these uh, okay. concurring opinions, and and certain judges will want to go farther than others. And Roberts, I think, just you know, he would have just he would have just upheld Mississippi's law without overturning Roe. Although I don't think mm. that was necessarily possible. Um, okay, but uh, it looks like uh, Clarence Thomas was willing to go a lot farther and is willing to go a lot farther. And frankly, he's right. I mean, people are going to hate me for this and call me radical, but he's right. He's absolutely right. Is that there isn't this, if, if the right to privacy doesn't exist and the abortion doesn't fit within the right to privacy, then these other cases that are premised mm. upon the right to privacy That's also right. don't exist. That's right. It doesn't mean that you can't, that a state can't say marry a man if you want to marry him or same sex marriage, if you want to marry your oh. same sex, oh, yeah. it just means that it's not a constitutional right under the constitutional. Right we all know they wouldn't repeal those laws. It, it, we all right. know that. You know, I mean, we know Ohio passed a law in the wake of, of the Supreme court decision. And we know a Bergfeld or whatever. That yeah, was, yeah. And yeah. we know that, you know, subsequently there have been thousands of these same gender marriages Ohio's not going to repeal that law. Yeah, no, it's not going no. to. Well, but it should not be a federal mandate. It shouldn't be. And it, That's all. And the other one yeah. they're talking about is contraception. Was mm-hmm. that uh, Griswold? Yeah. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think it's Griswold. Mm-hmm. So Griswold said, look, the government can't prevent you from having contraception. There's a constitutional right in, in the right of privacy to contraception, which is, you know, it's absurd. It's sort of on its face. It doesn't mean that the Supreme Court is saying you're not allowed to go get contraception. It just means that it's not a constitutional right. And then it's up to the people in, at the voting booth to say, this is a dumb law. We're not going to support this. So it, you're going to have it, you're going to have some input in what the law mm-hmm. is. So the outcome is the same, but the logic to get you there uh, is better. And if you're going to say there is no, the, like we screwed up, we should never have created this penumbrum of nonsense, then get rid of all of it and and let it fall and uh, and and see what emerges from it. And I think everybody will be pleasantly surprised with what emerges. Um, I won't necessarily like it. I'm not going to be shy about it. I don't like abortion. I, you know, I've been back and forth in the years of my life on this, but I don't, I see it differently now than I did when I was 20. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but I can live with that. I can live with having a vote mm-hmm. and I can live with having the right to go advocate my position. I can live with the right to have public debates about it and, and, and be heard in my general assembly branch or my legislative branch. Right. Yeah. I think we, uh, just ought to do a couple minutes on the January 6th hearings. Yeah. I think it's important. Um, it, it, it certainly, um, has become like a daily soap opera, uh, for a lot of people on, you know, listening to, to outlets like NPR that are carrying it live all day long. And, and, uh, you know, to me, I think it's a, it's a flawed thing. Um, it, 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 it the speaker of the house in, denying the other party its chosen representatives on the committee is somewhat unprecedented. And that has poisoned the well that has made these hearings for me. um, It's a show trial. Yeah. It's, it's made them flawed from the beginning. Hold on. We know where you stand, Norm. You love everybody. I love everybody. But we also know where you stand politically. So let's 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 shift. No, uh, I I don't think people. It's not as simple as that. So I detest Donald Trump as a human being. I think as a president, he was. Um, it's a mixed bag, but his policies were generally excellent. And I think um, he he was bludgeoned into many of his policies. I don't think he even has a a global idea of what being a conservative is. He's not a movement conservative. He. <laughs> 
he was he, he just did what got him got yeah him, yeah, got yeah, him yeah i mean he just he happened to have many of the same policies that i think are rational and i support but um as a person he's an ass and so i'm not surprised that he reacted after the election with outrage and was fuming and whatever who cares Hold on. So what I was going to ask. Who cares? Like, I'm with you. Yeah. Now the question is, Brett, have you watched any of the January 6th stuff on Very TV? little because yeah. I always look at and have learned to look at these committees as a witch hunt. So your it, perception of it, because I know you don't, yeah. you don't voice your opinions as strongly as Norman I do sometimes, but I, I, I got an idea where you stand and it's. It's it's this sort of bigger picture middle look at life. Yeah, pretty much. And if yeah, they did, they just seem to such be a waste of time. And your perception is a waste of time witch hunt. Yeah, he was impeached because yeah. that's, that's because, my perception too. And, and, and I look at it, and I look at it from other hearings that they've had. They've had Mr. Facebook there. What yeah. did that? What did that do? Zuckerberg. Yeah. What was that? What What's did that it all about? do? I mean, all these hearings about all this stuff is like, okay, you're just showboating. You Correct. know exactly who's coming to the stand, what they're going to say. Right. You're gonna. It's all outrage. Exactly. Right. And rattle. It just, and rattle that. Well, there might be a criminal. Uh, you know, outcomes. Oh, come on. It just I, I seems like it's the legislative purpose of it. Exactly. Where is this going? Right. Right. What are we purpose? doing? You know, it's interesting. The uh, I read this stat. I don't know if it's still true, but after the first couple of days of this, somebody checked the ratings. And of all, like, so you had like, uh, say the networks would get 20 million in ratings on a normal night. Mm-hmm. What was this? A Monday and Tuesday or whatever it started. It it got 17, the, the same channels, the same networks got 17 million. Like, like, a significantly fewer number of people tuned in to the networks uh, than when this stuff was aired in lieu of their normal programming. Mm-hmm. So it actually, it, like ratings dipped and everybody thought it was going to be this enormous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would rather see the hearings focusing on what went wrong that day. And how to, how and to we don't ever do that again. In all regards to the security, yeah. we're lucky that we were, this happened with Americans on Americans. It was, it was sad, but it's like, but, what about foreign well, powers Liz, coming in and overtaking Liz our Cheney's, decision process? Liz Cheney's opening remarks, Steve, when you said who died. Her opening remarks were five people died. No, no, no. There was a guy who recently died who was a witness oh, who had evidence. He was a sergeant of arms sergeant of, of arms. the sergeant Senate. So what he said, now his death is sort of suspiciously timely, but what but he said, <laughs> look, somebody ought to look into the funding of the travel of the professional agitators who were present on January 6th. Correct. Yes. And by professional agitators, what he's really saying is somebody paid people to come in and, and be rabble rousers. Correct. Right. I'd like to know who paid for that. And a lot and, of those are on it, film. And it could have been foreign powers doing Easily. it. I'd like to know who paid for that. I want, I, I'm that's, not even, that's I'm, a worthy investigation. I'm not absolutely. even thinking it's Democratic or Republican Party. I'm thinking it's foreign powers coming that's in right. and again, messing with our elections. Or you would say, it could if be. it's the Democrats, you would want to know. If it's the Republicans, you would want to know. Sure. If it's a foreign meddler, you would want to know. No. If it's the FBI, you would want to know. Right. And there have been those allegations yeah, right. that these were uh, that these were informants or uh, agents. I, I, I think just going on boots on the ground. That's yeah. been established. If Trump is in the middle of this, okay, I want to know that too. I want to know. But it sounds like we're just stirring the pot of hearsay, hearsay, hearsay. That Trump it's is proving not, nothing. It, it, like Norm, I'm with you a little bit on Trump. It's like people give him on the one side this credit for being this super ultra genius mastermind that has the capacity to pull all these strings and do all this stuff. Um, and maybe you would say those are his supporters, but they're not. They're his detractors. They, like they yeah. think that he had some mastermind right, ability right. To, to orchestrate this. Right. I don't buy it for a second. No, he's no, not that smart. He, I just, think he, he just he, know how he knew how to pound the table at the right time right. and get, get the dander up. So I yeah. take I take the uh the name Forrest Gump now as a verb. And <laughs> I always say you know that like Mr. The, Magoo, yeah. You yeah, know, the, I think Trump gumped his way into a whole lot of these hell, policies, hell yeah. and they just happen to be great policies. Yeah, you know, like like you know, it was almost like opposite day, like George Costanza on Seinfeld, like Nancy and Chuck want to do this, and then and then Trump's like, okay, I'm going to do the opposite well, of that. And, and he, stepped, almost, he, st- he stepped <laughs> in at the right time. How many years of Democratic rule did we have in the White House? 
It was the pendulum swing, and he we was had, there, there at the right time. Eight years of Obama, and then eight years of Bush being basically a rhino. Right. And, yeah. uh, so yeah. the pendulum swing was in his favor. Right. Right. He, right. So, he, he took advantage of a situation it, like he's done his whole life with business. And but, he's able to look at pro- – I, I will give him this credit. I think he's able to look at an. In, I, I, first, let me say this. No, I agree with you. I don't think he had this grand scheme of what conservatism really is. No, not a no. bit. But he does have an innate ability to look at a problem and figure out what's the best and most efficient way to solve it. Yeah. So that is patently inconsistent, I think, with how our government works. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> uh, and that would be head to head with him. Exactly. So, a yes. guy like Ted Cruz or Rand Paul that comes in with a philosophy and, you know, an ideology, right? Trump didn't come in with anything like that. He just came in with an ego thinking, I'm going to yeah. try to get president. Well, Obama like, dared him hey, to, my, basically. My exactly. daughter, my daughter Ivanka, had this idea that there, there ought to be government uh, daycare, right? And she, she spoke, at it, spoke about it at the Republican National Convention, and it went over like a lead balloon because, you know, here's another huge government program. And Trump thought it was great. Right. Because his daughter thought it was great. I mean, that's just so typically Trump. Right. You know, because, hey, I like this person and she likes me. And we're tremendous, 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 amazing, amazing. He did did the same thing with the the covid options. We should try that big. We should, try, we should try. We should try. What we want to try that for now? Shooting, you know, whatever. We're going to go yeah. big, big league. Big, yeah, big league. Big league. <laughs> big league. It's just yeah. it's it's so fundamentally elementary. But at the at the bottom of it, though, he's got a good. He's got the ability to solve problems. The so practicality. If you, if you stick a problem in front of his face. Right. He's going to cut through right. the nonsense and right. just solve it. I'm a builder. Right. I'm a developer. I right. know how to cut through the bullshit. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, you yeah. know, you know the thing. He's <laughs> brash enough to do it. I think the uh, part of the explanation for why the ratings are so low is the American people have digested what happened. They know, they saw the guy in the furry uh, horn Horned hat dude, yeah. up on the table uh, howling at the moon, and they know nobody started a fire. Nobody nobody tried to change the government. They can call it an insurrection, but that's not what happened. It was people just really pissed off because they didn't trust the election, right. the, the 2000 mule thing that we watched. It, it, it was those. It was that kind of reaction, and people have processed Scary, that. Scary potential for real, real bad consequences, right. and could have been horrible. Well deserving of an investigation, but it ought to be not a witch hunt investigation. It ought to be a real one. It ought to be about security. One hundred percent about security. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like so the security well, scares security. the crap out of me. Was, I want to know what Trump was saying to his people at the time. It's. Ha- I want to know that. I also yeah. want to know who funded. The rabble rousers. Right. I also want to know why they they told the the DC police and the and the National Guard to stand down and not guard. I want to know all questions right. to all that. All and why there are so many layer, right. layers of security for that building? You have to go through DC National. I mean, and, well, it's ridiculous. There, we, have, we have video of people who have been identified by name. We we there there's video of this one particular guy that was initially on the arrest list who has never been arrested has never been uh, brought in and uh, and uh, in- interrogated. And, and, and the FBI knows his name. The public, know, the reporters know his name. I, 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 I don't Everybody know. Everybody but you. Every, <laughs> but he's on film amping people up on a bullhorn. Let's go over there. Let's go in the Capitol building. He's, he's telling people what to do. And people are wondering. Is he an FBI agent? Isn't, yeah. So nobody knows why this guy was taken off the investigative list. So that's a good question. Mm. And that goes to oh. who funded those people? You want to know. You want to know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The, no, the other thing that the American people have also, the reason I think the, the ratings are so, besides the fact they know this is a witch hunt, and it's basically to uh, injure Donald Trump's chances of running in 2024, that's the object, they also know that he was impeached twice. One time for making a phone call to the newly installed president of Ukraine, who now finds himself in a war against uh, Biden's friends, uh, the the pro-oil Russian oligarchs who are trying to take over Ukraine. A big scandal that I don't think people have really looked into. Uh, where's Biden and where's his son vis-a-vis Ukraine? That's number one. Trump called up and said, hey, by the way, congratulations. I think you ought to investigate these people. Okay. So they they impeached him for that. And then after 
he was thrown out of office and he's no longer president, they impeached him again over January 6th. Mm-hmm. This is the second big blowout. How much more money to get rid of Trump? Well, how much more stuff yeah. about January 6th? We already did an impeachment over it. Yeah, no, and I mean, my God, you what know, is equally compelling the, to the me. The public is worn out with this. Equally compelling to me is the Democrats' refusal to look at these other questions. And I'm not saying it's because they're pulling strings behind. Maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe they're responsible for bringing in the rebel rousers. I don't know. But Sunshine sort of solves these problems, and they're not letting right. Sunshine in on it. Like, if you're going to investigate this thing, do it fairly. And I don't feel like it's an open and fair investigation. Like you, Brett, I feel like it's a yeah. witch hunt. And maybe I'm wrong, but the perception is that. It, yeah, correct. Um, correct. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up. But I do want to say I'm going to give my little Fourth of July speech because, you know, in, in the face of all these cases, in the in the face of all this uh, turmoil in our country, I would say take heart. I think we have crossed into a place where we can finally start to mend the fences. It's like if you have a, an infection, you really need to expose it before you can uh, kill it. You really need to uh, uh, get it all out before it, it it heals itself. And now there is a place in the states, in your local town halls, in your local legislative branches of government, in your bars, in your restaurants, at your dinner tables, where you can have these discussions and you can feel like your voice is going to be heard. And I think that's a that's the path to the freedom that our founders actually foresaw and not just foresaw norm but foresaw in perpetuity as long as we were smart enough to keep it so this is a fourth of july go celebrate your independence celebrate your freedom celebrate the fact that you can think that abortion is great at the same time somebody else thinks it's the scourge of the earth yeah i'm with you and uh if you do celebrate um and you go a little too far and you happen to get arrested Call my friend Steve. <laughs> Call there me, you go, man. and then yeah. keep your fingers away from the fireworks. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, don't you know what you know what firework wars? Don't do it. Don't like kids. Kids love to shoot bottle rockets at each other, and they're like, "Well, it's not going to hurt me." Yeah. But you know what happens? Like you do things like getting car crashes when you're shooting bottle rockets at somebody. Or well, you, it escalates. Then then yeah, you yeah. shoot Roman candles. Well, yeah, next thing that. you know, you're shooting you know BB guns, and then you're shooting ARs. You know, <laughs> wow! It's a gateway. It's, it's a, a gateway. gateway. It's a gateway gunpowder. <laughs> that, that's Norm's, Norm's argument in favor of gun control. Wow! But I gateway. Got, I got two stories in college. The first one was a firework war that resulted in a, a flapjack, or what, what do they call those things? Those bouncy. Everybody's seeing flapjacks. Yeah, they bounce around. Right. Blow. Well, it went under somebody's closed, locked dormitory door into Holy their closet cow. and smoldered until we opened up the door and there's these flames coming at us. And we, we thought we were going to cover it up. We thought that we could like, oh, don't worry, we'll rebuild it. And I was not involved in that. I was. I, I, this is true. I was not involved. And then we we made a rule that said no more firework wars ever. That lasted about a year mm. until the next firework war. And my buddy lost the tip of his middle finger because he was running away from somebody shooting at fireworks and the door slammed on his finger. Wow. So nothing good comes from fireworks. Work. Nothing no, good. no, I would say not. <laughs> don't, don't do it. It's, it's my, I cringe every time I think of that <sighs> zero clearance in those fire doors. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Bad, bad wow. stuff, man. All right. Are we done? Done. Yeah, I I, think I got a lot so. more to talk about. We can wait till next time. Right. Yeah, I found a budget. Now I'm doing the norm research stuff. I'm I'm emailing myself. Ooh, that'd be a good to talk good about. That'd be yeah. good to talk about. Well, that's good. That's good. No, no, no. Well, we uh, we I reached. We had a guest scheduled today. He couldn't make it, but we've reached out. We're going to get him rescheduled. But uh, until until then, this is another episode of the roundtable. Really uh, solving all the world's legal problems, or at least the country's legal problems, at the highest or at the uh, U.S. Supreme Court level. So we got that going for us. Until next time, this is Lawyer Talk Roundtable off the record on the air, at least until now.